Good morning, church family. Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Just to make sure we're all on the same page, um, I, when you have multiple services, sometimes uh, you can almost feel like two different church families at times. And so I just wanted you to be aware that we have two amazing people that are going to be... Um, Moving on from our church family and state <laughs> into a different um, environment altogether, uh, Cindy and Jordan Valentine, who has been around since uh, since I got here in 2016, they moved from Texas and they're boomeranging back to Texas. Uh, they believe that's going to be a good fit for them to head on back down to Texas. So during 9 a.m. together, we prayed over them and uh, tried to encourage them along the way. Also, a young man by the name of Connor who just came out of basic training for the Army, is going to be stationed here shortly, going to um, um, Colorado Springs, which is wonderful, right? <laughs> what a great time for him to go. Um, don't want him to go, but it is beautiful out there. And so he's going to be heading out there probably this week, but then after first uh, service, he was like, I may stay till the end. I don't really know. So I was like, we don't know what's going to happen. But, it, but he is in the military, so I guess we don't always know how it's all going to play out, right, Jim? And so it is what it is. But we're excited to be able to launch them into uh, the future, whatever the Lord has for them as they move forward. And I wanted you to be aware of that as you uh, should think about it, pray over our church family. And if you don't know them, it happens. You know, we're at different times and seasons of life. Try to get to know people as, as best as you possibly can. A group of people you typically sit around probably every week or every other week, depending on your schedule. Uh, get to know people so you can, you can know them and, and encourage them. We are right in the middle of our Christmas series called The Christmas Reason. Uh, we are looking at all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the reasons that they record for God uh, to send Jesus. We started, Pastor Craig did a great job of launching us into this series as he looked at how God sent Jesus for a reason, according to Mark. And he taught us the, through Mark that uh, Jesus came to preach and to teach the good news and how that actually can bring us peace. Peace with a holy, righteous, sovereign God. Last week, we looked at how God sent Jesus for a reason according to John, the gospel according to John. We looked at how the word became human or the word became flesh. And we talked about how that brings us hope. And today we're going to look into Matthew. Now I know typically when we get to Matthew and Luke, most people are probably going to say, oh, great, we're finally going to get to the Christmas story. Because when you look at Mark and when you look at John, they don't have like the birth moment. Um, you've heard those multiple times, I would imagine, uh, regardless of whether or not you grew up in a church family or not. Um, that is wonderful. Go home and read that story. We are, we are not going to focus so much on that, uh, that, the birth story. We're talking about reasons, the Christmas reason why God sent Jesus into the world. And we're going to be looking at the gospel according to Matthew. And the reason has a lot to do with joy. The candle that we light today 
Thank you, uh, Murphy family, for lighting that candle. We had the robber family, uh, actually, uh, at, at 9 a.m. What a great opportunity for us just to all participate uh, together. And so we're looking at the joy that comes from this reason. Perhaps maybe we can even help people see Christmas uh, more from what it truly is as we go through these reasons. Now, God sent Jesus for a reason according to Matthew, and that reason is found in Matthew chapter 5. Now, you could argue that there's more than one reason for sure within Matthew, um, as, as you see multiple times where Jesus says, I came to, I came to, I came to. That's a reason. I choose to focus on a specific reason for today. Now, in Matthew chapter 20, you'll read that Jesus himself said that the Son of Man came to not um, be served, but to serve. That's a reason. I believe you can read that passage and you go, oh, I, under, I, I can understand that. It's a little bit easier for me to take that in. But today we're going to look at something called the law and the prophets. And I thought it would be beneficial for us to walk through some of this together. So Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come, Jesus says. I did not come to abolish, or in other translations would say destroy, the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I'll tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment, and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> so we're going to look at what this means. That Jesus came to not abolish or destroy, or to make void the law and the prophets, but rather to fulfill them. In order for us to really understand what he did, what he fulfilled, we need to understand the whole, the whole thing of what, he was, what, what was to be fulfilled. What was the law and what was the prophets? Now, please understand that the law of Moses was an earthly copy of an eternal, heavenly, unchanging standard of holiness. So the law of Moses, or also known as the law of God, it was God's law given to Moses. That's why the Israelites called it the law of Moses after Moses passed away. Also the, the, the Mosaic law. So those are all interchangeable. When you look at this, again, the law of Moses was an, M, an earthly copy of an eternal, heavenly, unchanging standard of holiness. That's what this is all about. In Psalm chapter 119, we read that your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Jesus taught the unbending character of the law of Moses. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. God's law is unchanging. Why? Because God is unchanging. Jesus himself kept the law and 
often referred people to it. That's why Jesus, in this time of, of Matthew chapter 5, it goes into the Sermon on the Mount, and multiple times he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard, but I'm telling you. And it would, he was, he's trying to refocus to understand, listen, that's not what it was intended to be. Here is the intentionality behind it, behind the law, behind the understanding of it all. And Jesus lays all that out. Now, what is the law of Moses? When we look at that, the first five books of our, our Old Testament. So if you take the first five books, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the law of Moses. Everything else is under and the prophets. So you've got the law and the prophets. So the law is uh, the first five books of the Bible referred to as Torah, a uh, Hebrew word for law. It's also called the Pentateuch or the Pentateuch, which is a Greek word for five books. Easy enough to remember. We often refer to the, the, the commandments as the law of Moses. And as I said, it's the law of God. God gave it to Moses, so it's referred to as the law of Moses. Now, the foundation of the law of Moses is the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20. As Moses dictated this, uh, he received it from God and then uh, Mount Sinai, and then he shared it with the people, and he laid it all out there for what God had said. Now, the law. We talk about the law, and it can be kind of like, does it really matter? I think it's important for us to understand, one, because it's in the Bible, <laughs> um, and that's it. That's the only reason I got. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at what, what is the law. Well, there's three categories within the law. They were given ceremonial laws. They were given moral laws, and they were given civil laws. And it was, how to, it, was, it was a list of things that says, here's the standard. Here's the standard of what I'm expecting out of you. And so when the law was laid out, uh, you know, even more conservatively to say, like, the law of Moses is basically about 600 laws, 613 some laws, plus as the Pharisees, though they started off good and intended and everything, the reality is they were more corrupt in the end by the time Jesus popped on the scene. And they not only had the law of Moses, but they had oral traditional laws that they would add to the law. If the law wasn't hard enough, hey, we're going to raise the bar on God. God says, here's the standard of holiness. And these Pharisees decided, hey, we'll raise the bar. Who in their right mind? I think that's the point. They weren't. So when you look at what the law is, you have all these different categories. You have the moral laws. This is reflected God's holy, unchanging character. <laughs> the moral laws include the Ten Commandments, of course. Then there were civil laws. We're familiar with civil laws. These were regulations that were saying like your day-to-day -day life, how to operate for the Hebrew people. These laws govern such things as marriage and divorce, sexual conduct and property rights and things of that nature, uh, the way you're supposed to behave, right, day to day. Then there were ceremonial laws. Oh my goodness, the ceremonial laws. There were so many details that went into the ceremonial laws. Uh, there, was, there was a certain group of people that were allowed to be the priests. 
that only the priests were allowed to do certain things and enter certain spaces in the temple. And only a specific priest, the, the high priest, was allowed to go into certain places in the temple. And so there was so many different laws that made up the ceremonial laws. In fact, whether or not you could even go to the temple... There was a part of that as well because you had to be what's considered ceremonial, ceremonially clean. If you uh, touched something that was dead, you had to wait a specific period of time because you were considered ceremonially unclean. So you had to wait so long. During a specific time of the month, ladies were not allowed to go to temple because of cycles. And then they had to wait another week after that. And so you're looking at maybe half the month, they weren't even allowed to go to the temple based on these ceremonial laws. And if you can read through it, there's so many different details over and over again that makes up how you weren't able to just show up as a process. You weren't able to just do whatever you wanted to do. And you weren't able to get mad at the priest for saying no. <laughs> a little different today, isn't it? And so you, you go into um, temple you go into synagogue and you go to worship and you had to make sure that you followed certain guidelines. So this whole law is laid out where we got moral laws, we got civil laws, we've got ceremonial laws. And it's just, just imagine this wall is covered in a list of rules and laws. And so when the people got it, they look at the law, oh, that's how I'm supposed to behave and then I make heaven. Okay, challenge accepted. So they go through these laws and they're checking them off. I can do this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And the reason when Jesus came onto the scene and he said, you've heard it said, but I tell you, is because they viewed it all wrong. They viewed the law of God wrong. That's why it ended up in such a mess as it did. And so Jesus is trying to explain what this really is all about. If you look at the law, view it more instead of a list, look at it as a mirror. So don't look at it as a list of things that you're trying to figure out so that you can do better, be better, and then God will like you better. But rather, look at it as a mirror. And think about the qualities that a mirror brings. The character of a mirror is simple. It reflects what's already there. So picture this. The law of God is given to the Hebrew people, and they look at that and say, okay, so I'm just got to do better, right? It was meant to be a mirror that reflects where they are in three ways. To reveal and explain, first of all, what sin is. Because if the law is a standard of holiness, then everything else is not. Make sense? You violate this, then that would be a sin. So it's to explain, well, what is sin? And secondly, to reveal and expose sin in us. Every human ever born was born with a sin nature. That is why <laughs> if you get frustrated with culture, and there's some movies about this in, as well. I think they're, they're fascinating concepts, but totally wrong. They take 100 people that you think are the goodest of the good. Take 100 people. 
put them in a hundred acres, right in the middle where culture that now is somewhat more confused than usual is, is they're away from all of culture. They're away from any other influence, but their own goodness. You with me? I guarantee you those hundred people did not escape sin because they took it with them. That's what lives inside of each and every one of us. We're all born with a sin nature. Give it a little bit of time, and eventually somebody within that hundred uh, group of people, as the group grows, all of a sudden somebody gets power hungry, somebody gets greedy, somebody starts manipulating, starts lying, even though they said, we're not going to do this, we're going to follow the, the, the letter of the law. Eventually, sin just runs through. We say things like, oh, you know, the devil made me do it. I think we give him far more credit than he deserves. Oftentimes, sure, sure, certainly the enemy's at work. The enemy's at work around us. There is a spiritual realm that there is war, there is battle that goes on that we uh, do not see. <laughs> but make no mistake that oftentimes, probably most times that you even sin, it's because of the sinful desires that are already inside of you. You know this because you think things that sometimes, especially as a believer, you go, I don't want to do that. That's it. That's that battle between the old man and the new man. I don't want to do that. You ever had thoughts cross your mind that were so heinous, so ridiculous, that you're like, I hope nobody knows that I thought that. That's that sin nature that lives within us. So the law as a mirror was designed to expose sin in us. Then once it explains sin, because you're looking at yourself through the, 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 through the, from the mirror of the law, once it explains what sin is and it exposes, oh man, you've got sin, I got sin. Then it was designed, number three, to reveal and express our need for a savior. The idea was that we would look at the law, we would say, oh heck no, there's no way. I, there's, I can't even come close. I can't even get two of those out of 613. I need help. Is there anybody out there that could, like, in my place, help me out here? The idea was that it would explain sin, expose sin, and then help us to see we can't, we can't get out of sin. We are controlled by sin. Without the Holy Spirit, without God in our lives, we are slaves, servants to sin. And the law was designed to expose that, to share it, to help us understand, wait a second, I can't do this on my own. So, what does Matthew 17 even mean? Jesus, <laughs> Jesus encounters lies from the Pharisees. They were always trying to trap him. And then word would get back to him and things like that. And, and so he made this clear declaration as, they were, as, he was, as he was going into the Sermon on the Mount. Don't think that I have come to abolish or get rid of the law. Don't think that I came to get rid of the law and then set up the new covenant. 
almost this image that I'm going to take the document of the old law and I'm going to throw it away and I'm going to write a brand new one all together. Get rid of the old covenant and bring in the new covenant. That's not what was, well, that's not what's being done here. Instead, Jesus takes the old covenant of the law and the prophets and fulfills it to the letter of the law. Stamped. It has been accomplished. How can he do it and we can't? Right? We are born with a sin nature. Jesus was not. God came in the human form. God sent his one and only son. Same conversation. Isn't that wild? And he was able to fulfill his law because sin had to be dealt with. When you deal with somebody who is fully just, they don't just write it off as, ah, no big deal. It must be fulfilled. Sin had to be dealt with. Within the law, in the ceremonial portion of the laws, there was what was known as a sacrificial system. Now, some of you, this may be a little bit of a review, but let me explain exactly what that was. There was a time in which people would come to the temple and they would make sacrifices, animal sacrifices. (laughs) They would have to choose animals that were, I mean, just nearly perfect. Like you wouldn't go there with, you know, the run of the litter. You would would get your best of the best. Oftentimes when they got to the temple, here's where it gets shady. There would be people there selling birds and selling animals and selling things for a level of sacrifice and charging goofy prices just to make money off of it. And so, but people had to go in there and sacrifice this animal. Now, you take a lamb and you sacrifice this animal. The priest does this and then there's this blood flow. It's called a blood payment or blood atonement for sin. And so you would sacrifice this animal and according to the ceremonial laws... All your sins since the last sacrifice up to this sacrifice would be forgiven, would be covered. But it was temporary. It would only cover what has been done until the next time that you sin again and then you start compiling those sins again that the next time you go and make a sacrifice, then you would take care of those. Are you tracking with me? So, Humanistically speaking, let's say that God says, enough's enough, <laughs> right? Enough's enough. All right, we're going to, I'm going to do the one final sacrifice. And here's what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to send a spotless lamb of God, and this lamb is going to be sacrificed according to the, what? The law. And it is going to cover, it is going to take away the sins of the world. That's a pretty big deal. So God becomes flesh and lives, moves in next door around us. And makes this final payment for the law to satisfy what you and I 
could not satisfy. Where we finally get to a point where we say, oh, there's no way I can fulfill all that. I can't do it on my own. Is there anybody that can do it for me? And Jesus says, I did. Okay, I'm with you. Okay, then follow me. See how this all pieces together? So how did Jesus do this? He did it in two ways. He fulfilled the law and the prophets through teaching as well as through doing. He taught people to obey the law. He taught people. He didn't, why would he teach it if he was going to destroy it? That makes no logical sense. So clearly he wasn't here to get rid of the old. He was to accomplish it, to fulfill the old covenant. And so he goes and he, and he teaches about the law and then he does it. He obeys the law himself perfectly to the very letter of the law. According to John, according to 1 Peter, he's living a perfect life. He lived out his life in a perfect holy way, satisfying the moral laws. His death satisfies the ceremonial laws and the sacrificial system. All of Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. This is why it is so important that you don't try to unhinge or remove the Old Testament from the whole Bible. When you think, well, I'm just going to focus on the New Testament because that seems more relevant. Really? Even that was 2,000 years ago. You're going, well, that's closer to me. All of it together, written over a period of 1,600 years by about 40 different authors, and there's 66 collected books here. And they have a common theme, and that is pointing to Jesus, his first coming and his second coming. So what the Old Testament anticipates, the New Testament authenticates. And what the Old Testament predicts is going to happen, the prophecies, the New Testament presents. They work hand in hand, side by side. In order to understand even what Jesus is talking about, like he fulfilled the law and the prophets, you have to go back and look. What was the law and the prophets? That's our Old Testament. It wouldn't connect otherwise if they weren't together. So where does the joy come in in all this? This is kind of uh, classroom teaching a bit here. So where's the joy? Matthew chapter 11 records Jesus saying that my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. The law was a huge burden. It was an incredible burden. You could say it was an impossible burden. It was so heavy. <coughs> Excuse me. It was so heavy. Nobody could fulfill the law, but Jesus did. And since he took the burden, becoming sin himself, we can be made right with God, and it's fulfilling the law. 
So what is it? Why, where does yoke come into this? Whenever there would be two animals side by side working in the field, there'd be a bar across them and like these hooks that come around, kind of like, you know, like a headlock, and they would walk together. And that was a huge burden for them. It could be very heavy. What Jesus is saying within this culture to understand, they would say, yoke, I understand what you mean, is that that's not heavy. When you follow me, you don't have to worry about the letter of the law. I have fulfilled it, Jesus said. Certainly, there's ways to behave. There's certain ways that Jesus said, here's how we're going to live life. But understand, the burden of having to perform in order to be accepted is gone. So when we come up to the law in the mirror, when we receive Jesus... He steps in front of the mirror, and then the law is viewed through him to us. Then why, oh why, do we keep trying to walk around Jesus to be close to the law again? I don't do that. Every time you try to gain acceptance from God by doing That's exactly what you're doing. You walk around your Savior that has already accomplished this. This is why we do things because we feel bad. You been there? Well, I just want to do this because I feel bad. So you want to do this so you feel better? Why are you doing this? Is it really for God? Is it really for that other person? Are you loving God? Are you loving people? Or are you loving self? Think about why you do what you do. And that will show you whether or not you're walking around this Jesus and going to the law yourself trying to perform or not. Jesus already did it all. The good news is, is that Jesus promises to all who come to him that he will give them rest from this heavy burden. You've probably been working your whole life, if you don't know Jesus today, trying to perform. I'm going to do better, be better, get better, and I'm going to do it myself. I'm a self-made man, right? A self-made woman. I can do it on my own. One of the hardest things for us, especially as Americans, to admit is that I need help. I can't do it on my own. I've been trying, and I want to stop trying. I want to honor the Lord. I can't do it on my own. And so in order for me to be in right relationship with God, the only way to the Father is through the Son. This make a little more sense to you today? Since Jesus fulfilled it in his righteousness, we now can be declared Righteous, not because of how good you think you are, but because of how perfect and holy and pure he is. What makes Jesus' yoke easy and his burden light is that in Jesus' own active obedience, you know, his perfect fulfillment of the law of God, he carried the burden that we were meant to carry. You know the Easter story? You've heard about the death on the cross? 
the burial, you realize that was actually supposed to be ours. And anybody that doesn't know Jesus is still heading in that direction of death. Still spiritually dead. But Jesus said, hey, you just dying isn't going to really satisfy because then you're away from God. I'm going to come in and I'm going to pay for this one more, one final time. And all you have to do, if you believe, then you receive. That you will then be given the right to become a child of God. So you see, today's big idea is rather simple. God sent Jesus for a reason, according to Matthew. And the joy that comes with knowing that I don't have to perform, I just am. And the Lord makes me better as I pursue him. The law is still a standard. We're still heading in a certain direction. But now I'm in Christ, which means when I mess up, I'm already forgiven. I don't mess up in order that more grace would abound. My, my, my goal is to live in the spirit that I don't sin and that I live a life that honors the Lord, not based on performance. I'm already accepted. So since I'm already accepted, now I want to live that out. You don't have to perform to be loved. You're already fully loved. Why would you try to change the system? It's perfect. It's fulfilled. Just let it be what it be. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. And we get to benefit from it by having peace with God. If you're not sure if you have peace with God, you may not. Because when you do, you know it. The peace that passes all understanding is that peace that comes when disaster rains down around you. When somebody dies abruptly, when you lose a job, when your hot water tank goes out, floods your basement. It's hard. Oftentimes very sad. But you can have peace in those moments. And when you're at peace with God, you can have joy that says, hey, not where I want to be. This is where God has me. And he hasn't forgotten where I am. That is peace with God. So since Jesus lifted this burden off of us spiritually, Perhaps maybe we can lift and help people with their burden, even practically. So here's some next steps for us as we go on throughout our day today and throughout this week. Invite others into your Christmas, as we've talked about. You can even pick out some Christmas cards that are out there. They're all the same out there on the patio, and take those with you. They're kind of like Christmas cards slash invite cards, so you can take those, you can pass them out, give them to people, whatever you want to do. Invite others into your Christmas Part of it might be uh, being here together. Part of it might be inviting them over to your house and you guys spend time together. 
share the Christmas reason of joy with people. And here's some ways that you can practically relieve a burden from others. <laughs> uh, helping out at a shelter, of course. Um, helping people be fed is a big deal. We have the Akron Pregnancy Services Giving Tree that's out here that many of you have already helped lift some of that burden that there are going to be some um, mothers and some fathers that are going to receive these necessary items. There's strollers that people have bought. There's pack and plays. And of course, you can never have too many diapers and wipes. Am I right? And there's just a bunch out there. There's still tags out there you can grab one of those tags. If they run out, we will reuse a tag and we can help lift this burden from those who are in need. Serve within your local church. I know a church family. Serve in some capacity to lift the burden of the whole. If everybody pitches in, it's not a heavy burden. But when we assume, ah, someone else will do it, it typically stays there. So the idea is that we look to lift the burden because of the burden that was lifted for us. Now we feel so grateful. We just want to be a part of that as well. Serve your family with a joyful attitude. Serve them. Encourage them. Be a blessing to them. Serve your neighbors. I see neighbors in my, in my neck of the woods that are in other people's yards that they don't belong what are they doing over there with their mower? Oh, they're picking up leaves, right? They're picking up leaves. They're helping people out. They're coming together to care for one another. I've known people to say, hey, I'm going to mow your lawn. They say, no, it's okay. I'll do it. And they mow their lawn anyway because they're just trying to lift a burden. A gentleman that used to live across the street from us just recently about a week or so ago passed away, um, became very, very close with uh, their neighbors, and they would spend time together. They would encourage one another. They laughed with each other. And he would say to them, listen, you're raising kids. I don't have anybody I'm raising. I can mow your lawn. And they would oftentimes come home to him going up and down the yard, just mowing it, just trying to lift the burden because he understands the burden. Serving your coworkers, even the Grinches. Serve them, care for them, try to lift the burden. Simply, how can I help? How can I help? You'll probably blow people's minds with that simple phrase, how can I help? How can I help? And then be nice about it for crying out loud. Don't act like Superman or Superwoman. How can you help? I don't know, make something up. Because they're asking, they're trying to connect with you. Right? And if you ask them, just now nah, you can't really control their response, but talk with them and encourage them. Try to figure out a way to lift that burden out of joy that the burden's been lifted from you. Next week, we're going to be looking at how Jesus was sent for a reason according to Luke. Go through there and see if you can find that reason. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth that we, uh, that we gain from your word. This amazing document, the narratives, the poetry, conversations, the teachings, the prophecies, all of this wrapped up here. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to give us a hunger 
to want to dive into your word, that we would understand it better through your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would guide us into truth, that we'd be able to share it with other people. As we go throughout our day today and throughout this week, bring people into our lives, that we would be able to help lift a simple burden, whatever that looks like. Guide us today and into tomorrow as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church family, stand. Receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today. Now, church family, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, say it with me. Go and be the church.